What's your favorite Christmas movie? There's so many for us to choose from. Maybe it's Home Alone or Elf or absolutely a Christmas movie is Die Hard. Um, Christmas Vacation, The Santa Claus, Christmas with the Cranks. I mean, really, Tim Allen must love Christmas. He's got so many to choose from this time of year. A White Christmas, love White Christmas. Great movie also, another classic. But what is it about movies that's so captivating uh, to us? You know, computer graphics have come a long way over the last couple of years. Now things start to look a little more realistic. Uh, it seems like there's more action in movies than there ever has been before, but it's not really the computer graphics or the action that draw us in, is it? It's the story. It's the story that captivates us and takes us, and we love to sit there, and whether it was 90 minutes or 120 minutes or however long a movie is these days, you sit there and you're just drawn into it. And you sit with it and you discover things about it. And there's one uh, captivating story that comes on usually a lot of times this time of year on TV. Uh, it's called It's a Wonderful Life. You've probably seen it. Hope you have. If not, spoiler alert here in just a second. So uh, George Bailey uh, is this guy here. He has, uh, he's a very compassionate man, but yet he's found himself on the brink of despair, right? Uh, and he's visited by an angel named Clarence that has come to show him just what his life would be like without him. And he, he takes him through this whole, uh, kind of the whole movie is this of him experiencing and seeing just how not awesome life is without him, how different life would be. And what we find in the end is that George discovers kind of the true value of family and friendship uh, and, and just this priceless gift of being alive. Now, it's a classic movie. It's got a great message. It's got great life lessons for us to learn from. If you hadn't seen it, definitely encourage you to go watch it. Um, you need to. Uh, I do caution you, they don't get all of your theology from it. Probably not quite right, but that's okay. But one of the great things about this movie is, especially this one that does kind of replay a lot, is once you've seen it, you know the plot, right? I just told you the plot, basically. But as you watch it again, you start to notice new things. You start to make connections that you didn't before. You, you begin to, to see little details um, that, that you, you didn't see before. You see, God's word is a lot like this. For us, when we come to God's word, it's, it's, he's gifted us with this revelation, this gift of a book that, that tells us what God is all about, his plans and his purposes from beginning to end. All of this in this book written in our language to us. And it's a captivating story. It's one that draws us in. Uh, that we get called up in as God's people. But have we lost the wonder of this book? We get so excited about the stories that we see in movies, but what about this book? And today we're going to talk about and discover that the same thing happens that we, we get from movies, those stories that captivate us there. We can experience that same wonder whenever we come to God's word and we immerse ourselves in it. So good morning. My name is Hunter Upton. I'm one of the pastors here at our South Haven campus of Goodwill Church. Glad that you've joined us for worship this morning. If you're our guest, a warm welcome to you. Glad that you've carved out time to be with us. Uh, I love Christmas time, and, and you guys singing this morning just fills my heart every time. Uh, so glad, glad that you are here. And I do want to invite you to a very special uh, service coming up in a couple of weeks on Sunday, the 24th of December. That is Christmas Eve. Uh, we will not have morning services that morning, but instead we'll have three Christmas Eve services that afternoon. And so we'd love for you, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, the people at the grocery store that you see today, whoever, 
uh, we would love for you to invite them uh, to come and be part of what we have going on here on Sunday the 24th. We'll have three services, two, 3.30, and 5 uh, here in this room. We'll have uh, singing, we'll have special music, we'll have a Christmas uh, message. Uh, we'll be talking about the wonder of, of God's son, Jesus. Uh, we'll be talking about, um, we'll be celebrating communion together. And then, we'll, of course, we'll end with a special time of candlelight uh, together. So we'd love for you to be a part of that. And I just want to, once again, encourage you, want to put that out there, that this is a time of year where uh, people are more open to step foot in a church if they haven't stepped foot in a church in a while or ever before. Uh, why not let the invite come from you? So putting that out there. Go ahead and send that text right now if you need to. I won't worry. All right, so we're in the second week of our message series in this month of December called Wonder. And we're looking at God's, uh, just the things that we can be in wonder about God uh, with and that he is up to and doing in our lives. And it, what's funny about wonder is I feel like we have it as children, but whenever we get older, maybe it's because we become jaded, we kind of lose this sense of wonder, right? It's like, oh, I know how this is going to end. I know what's going to happen, all this kind of stuff. But there's something wonderful about wonder and amazement about what God is doing. And, and, and we need to wake up and be part of it. And so our goal this month is to see what God is up to uh, and the gifts that he's given us in many different ways that we can discover and see and, and become attuned to what God is doing in this world and in our lives. And so hoping that that's where we get uh, by the end of this uh, series is that we will have, have gone deeper in a sense of wonder of God in our everyday lives. Now, last week, Pastor Jonathan talked about the wonder and the gift of life itself. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, I'd love for you to go back and you can watch it and share it. Uh, YouTube.com slash Southhaven. Uh, it's there along with many other message series that we've done. We'd love for you to check that out, especially as a resource uh, for you. So let's go back and talk about this idea of story and ask this question, what is it that's so captivating about stories to us? Uh, maybe it's this emotional connection that we make. I think about the fact that sometimes we, we start to understand what a character's going through because they seem to be going through very similar situations and circumstances that, that we are. Uh, we start to feel what they're feeling. Uh, we see characters with their flaws and their strengths, the good and the bad and the ugly of their lives, and we go, wow, that's, that's me. Uh, right? So we start to identify with them in that way as well. We learn lessons from their lives over the course of uh, whatever we're watching or listening to, right? Uh, we see their journey that they've been on. And more often than not, these are the kind of movies that I like, but it wraps up in the end, uh, and usually favorably, uh, is that we do get to see the end of the story more times than not. And we like that. We like to know how's it, how does it end uh, for them. And so these stories, they become really attractive to us. But did you know that your story is attractive also? The story that God has given you, each of us have a story, and it's your story. But your story is called up in a greater story. It's called up in God's story. And the reason that we know that it is God's story is because this book right here tells us in the very beginning, it says, very first verse, in the beginning, God. Now, I wasn't great at, at uh, I was about to say math. <laughs> I wasn't great at English. But in that small, short sentence, the subject is God. And so if you get anything today, this is the one thing I want you to at least leave with this morning, is that the story isn't about us, it's about God. It's not about us, it's about God. It's about God's story that's unfolding every single day before us. And this is one of the most captivating stories that we could ever, ever hear and ever be a part of. Because there is no story more powerful or perfect than God's story. 
What we find in God's story, we find it in the Bible. And it's this book that's comprised of 66 individual books written over the course of 1,500 years, written in three different languages on three different continents, written by 40 different authors from 40 different backgrounds, 40 different walks of life. And yet, one of the most miraculous things, and y'all, this is a gift, is from beginning to end, there is a seamless and cohesive thread. It's all about God's work about his redemptive power and what he's doing in this world. It's woven together with prophecies that have been fulfilled, and and it's just this single, beautiful story of God's salvation. And so for us, the the word of God is God-inspired. It's all authoritative in our lives, and it is infallible. And so the Bible is God's story. It's unfolding in us and around us. And when we familiarize ourselves, when we immerse ourselves in, in the word of God in the Bible, we begin to realize that life isn't about us. Instead, it's about God and his glory. We're just part of this greater story that God is unfolding. See, one of the reasons why we can even celebrate Christmas and we can celebrate the gift of Jesus is because we know God's overall plan. His plan has been revealed to us. It's been written down. It's been preserved for us. It's been passed on for us. Now think about the fact that literally the Bible was written thousands of years ago, and yet today, 2023, we can hold God's word in our hands. That's a gift. Is that not something to be celebrated? Some people think that the Bible is just kind of a a handbook for a religious club, but here's the thing is whenever we limit ourselves to interacting with God's word only in that, it just kind of gives us something, is that we miss out on the wondrous gift that God's word really is to interact with it. See, Psalm uh, Psalm 119 verse 105 tells us, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. See, we need this light to help guide us. We need that lamp to illuminate the path before us in this dark world that we live in. And we need it to fill us with the light of the life of Christ. And as we dig into God's word and we allow it to wash over us, we'll begin to discover things that we never knew before. We begin to find words of a hope that's greater than what we had before. Our souls begin to, to latch onto tangible, real, the words of God. We find peace for our minds in a world filled with chaos. There's so much that we get when we interact and when we come to God's word. But my question is, have we lost the wonder of God's word? Maybe you've, you've struggled uh, with it before. Uh, maybe you've never really began <laughs> to get into God's word. But I hope that wherever you are, uh, that this morning we can begin to discover and rediscover this wonder again uh, together. So let's see kind of this, when we talk about this wonder of God's word, let's go to a familiar passage from the Christmas story. Uh, Matthew chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. Matthew chapter 2. I want to look at just a, a small tidbit of this story. But Jesus has been born in Bethlehem, and now there's something really interesting uh, that unfolds. And let's look at this. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So these magi, 
there's a couple of Christmas songs about these guys. But these men, they're, they're wise men, uh, as we, we come to find out. And they come from the east, and they come in search of a king. And I don't think they knew it at the time, but they were actually part of God's greater story that was unfolding uh, right then. And so who were the Magi? Why were they looking for this king? Well, uh, long before the time of Jesus, uh, the Bible tells us that there had been such thing as these wise men in a place called the East. And this is a connection that Pastor Jonathan helped me make, and so grateful for that this week. Uh, But the East in this passage refers to what the Old Testament called Babylon. Now, Babylon was that enemy nation of Israel and of Judah. Uh, They actually came in in 597 B.C., Uh, They took Judah into exile, and it says in the text uh, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king, comes in and he says, uh, I want the biggest, brightest, most awesome, most handsome young men uh, of Judah, and I want them to be trained, and I want them to become part of my uh, court. And so uh, we find in Daniel chapter 1, there's this bright young man uh, who is part of that mix, and his name is Daniel. And so what we find is Daniel is blessed by God uh, because of his faithfulness. Daniel uh, is able to interpret dreams uh, because of God's wisdom. And in Daniel chapter 2, we find that the king has this dream. And he he demands that it be interpreted. And so he sends for his wise men. And the wise men come and none of them can figure out what in the world this dream is about. And so the king is is livid. He says, we're going to execute them all. Uh, But Daniel stops the king. He says, hold on. I can interpret your dream. Do not, don't kill them. And so the king listens, and uh, all because of God's wisdom, uh, Daniel is able to interpret the king's dream. And because Daniel is able to do so, the king makes him the chief of these wise men. We find that in Daniel chapter 5, verse 11. So what's really cool is this word magi here and uh, the word for wise men and Daniel actually come from the same word. And so this is how we know that they are connected. So what we see is that Babylon in the east had these wise men, these magi, and that Daniel, who was an Israelite, he was a foreigner, he wasn't even uh, a Babylonian, uh, he becomes the chief of these, this group of men. So why now, all these years later, are these wise men, these magi, why are they now in Jerusalem? And why are they looking uh, for a king? Well, God had given Daniel a very special revelation. And we find this in Daniel chapter 9. So if you've got a Bible or a device, you can turn there. Daniel chapter 9. And the magi were told by Daniel that there was this astronomic event. That there was this holy countdown that was going to happen and that had been foretold by Daniel, and they were to be looking out for it. So let's see what happens in Daniel chapter 9, picking up in verse 21. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to uh, to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, 
There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. Now, before you go, Hunter, I have no idea what in the world we just read. Uh, let's talk about this. So Daniel, he's in exile and he's wondering, God, what, what is with this? Why, why are our people like this? And so he looks back in God's word and he finds that, 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 that this is something that was foretold long before Daniel's time that this was going to happen. That if God's people continued in their disobedience, if they continued to be unfaithful to the covenant that they had made with God, then they would be taken into exile. But here's the thing is that Daniel's also discovering this truth is that this exile would not be permanent. But instead, God would restore them to their land. That, that Jerusalem would be rebuilt if they repent from their sins and they turn back to God. And so what Daniel is doing in, in chapter 9 here is that he's doing that. He's praying. He's asking God. And God sends this angel to tell Daniel that he's got the right idea. But here's the thing. Is the time hasn't yet come. But it's coming. The time will come. He can be certain of that. And so in the prayer, the angel, he lays out this timeline, seven sevens, it's, seven, it's 49 years, plus 62 sets of seven, that's 434 years. And one of the gifts that we have is that this side of Daniel's prayer and also having this here is that we can see and know exactly what this was talking about. See, it took 49 years from the time that uh, it, the moment that the people of God were allowed to return uh, to Jerusalem to rebuild it. It took from that time until the completion of the temple, 49 years. And then it was another 434 years from that point until the birth of the anointed one, the Messiah. All this kind of based on their calendar of a 360-day year. But the seven sevens plus the 62 sets of sevens takes you from the call to rebuild and, and, and return to Jerusalem until the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, Daniel, we have it written down. Because can't you imagine that Daniel, as one of the chiefs of the wise men, I mean, he would have written it down too. It would have been in, in the storehouse in, in Babylon. And even all of these years later, Babylon's gone. There's new kingdoms that have risen but there's still these wise men who I'm sure during their, their Magi school probably are taught, hey, this is coming up. You should be aware of this. They, they were looking for something. They were expectant for something to happen because it was counting down. Can you imagine the excitement as that day approached? And then one day they look out and there's the star. There's the star of Israel. The anointed one whom, whom Daniel had spoken about has appeared. This is why they go searching. They go searching because they had even but this much of God's revelation and said with expectant hearts, I want to go see what he's doing. See, here's the thing about God's word is I think about, man, if only we who, who have more than just a tidbit of God's revelation, what if we expectantly came and said, teach us something, Lord, do something new, show us what you're up to. We have such a gift. We have such a gift. See, without having the whole of the Magi, they're filled with wonder over, over what Daniel had written down and passed on. They wanted to see and seek out the anointed one. And they were filled with wonder. And so what we ha they had this right idea because when we approach God's word, here's the thing that it teaches us is that God's word tells us exactly what he's going to do. 
He does it, and then he does something amazing. He invites us to see him in what he does. We're invited into that story. It's an amazing and wondrous gift, is it not? It's something for us certainly to celebrate and to come to recapture and embrace with wonder. So how do we embrace? How do we come to God's story in wonder? How do we move to action just like the Magi were? Well, we do so in awe and reverence. Paul wrote this about God's revelation for us in Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Paul said, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When I discovered these verses for the first time, I, I was floored because it is so true, just the, the beauty and the richness that we find in God's word. And if you approach this story with awe and reverence, there, there's a few things that we've got to decide from the get-go to be able to get to that point of awe and reverence. The first is you've got to be careful not to read your story into God's story. Uh, we live in 2023. The Bible was written thousands of years ago in the ancient Middle East. And so it's a little bit different. We don't impose ourselves onto the Bible. Instead, we realize that we are invited into the story that God is playing out. Even though it was written so long ago, we're still invited to participate in that unfolding story. And, and it gives us everything we need to know and how to join up in what he's doing. All we got to do is accept that part for us today. The second is that if you want to approach God's story with awe and reverence, that you've got to decide uh, to live in wonder. You got to come to it with just an expectation of God, you're, I know you're going to say something, you're going to teach me something, you're going to form me in some way. Help me just to, to draw in with that childlike sense of wonder that I'm going to meet you here in that. See, everything we need to know about God, his character, his truth, uh, it's all revealed in his word. Everything we need to know about ourselves. You see, here's the problem a lot with the way that we, we look at ourselves is we do a self-study. Uh, that doesn't really work. If you really want to know what you're like, come to this book. It'll tell you exactly what you're like because it's not you. It's God who made you telling you what you were like. We need an accurate view, and we get that from God's Word. And everything that we need to know to how to be saved by faith in Jesus Christ, everything from trust to surrender to how to follow Jesus, it all begins by coming to this book and finding it there. So the two things that we've got to decide as we uh, come into awe and reverence is be careful not to impose yourself into the Bible, into its story, and let it, instead let it speak into you. And then we have to come with wonder of God's amazing revelation. So Paul gives us a little bit further uh, four points on how we can recapture the wonder of God's revelation. So we have to allow it to do these things in our lives. The first is this, you gotta allow God's word to teach you. You gotta allow it to fill you with holy information. Now I did some research on this this week because I'd heard a, a statistic and I, I'm not like a huge, huge nerd. I'm a, I'm a pretty big nerd, but um, I did read this and so some of you may make more sense of this, but we are, we are hit with 74 gigabytes of information every single day. To put that into perspective, that's as much information as you would find in 16 full length movies. That's a lot of information every single day. So why instead of filling ourselves with trash, are we not filling ourselves with something that's more useful? 
something that's holy and wonderful. See, come to God's word each day, reading and learning and growing in it. And you see, I've met newcomers to the faith who've come to God's word for the first time, and y'all, they devour it, and they are just so in all of what God is doing. And then I've sat with some believers who've walked with the Lord 50 plus years, and they've read the Bible multiple times. And do you know what's the most refreshing thing is to sit down and hear them say, do you know I was reading this morning, and I've never noticed this before. And they're struck with awe and wonder as well. There's something beautiful about coming and allowing this word to do something in us, to fill us with holy information. I had a professor in seminary that said that this is a finite text. No words will be added to it, but it has infinite truth. Think about that next time you open up the Bible. God, I know these words aren't ever going to change, and I know maybe I've read this passage 1,200 times, but today I'm expecting that you're going to help me see something new. Wonders about being curious. So as you come and you start to have questions, I have plenty. As you come, ask those questions, search for those answers, use the Bible to find those answers. That's the best practice. And then let it shape you with its holy information. But here's the thing, it's more than just gaining knowledge. The Western church has done a great job of gaining a lot of knowledge, but we need to let the knowledge move into transformation. It's not just information transformation as well. And that's where these next three points of Paul's comes from. So we have teach. It teaches us. It gives us holy information. The second is that it rebukes us. God's word rebukes us. It leads us and helps us to make holy choices. I learned a long time ago that, it is, that it's, uh, it's neither right nor helpful for me to stand over the word and to say, oh, I really don't like this part. Next. Oh, I don't like this part either. Next. Oh, because really what ends up happening is we come with a really skinny version of the Bible. But God's revelation written to us is best received whenever we stand under it and we allow it to speak into us what is truth and what is right. That it has the ability to say, you're wrong. This is right. God's word rebukes us and leads us to make holy choices See, we want God's word to to take us and to know us and to point out to us those places in us that sometimes are misplaced, those misplaced longings, those misplaced pursuits. And as we approach the Bible, we let it search us and change the course of our lives. We have to allow it to do that when we're headed the wrong way. And here's the thing is that whenever you come to the Bible and it starts to call you out, don't just close it. (laughs) Oh, maybe tomorrow. Let it do its work. Let it speak. Let it rebuke. And friends, if you're reading the Bible and it hasn't tried to correct you yet, you might not be reading it right. We've got to let it do its work. It's a gift to us. All right, third is this. Paul says the word of God corrects us. It gives us holy thinking. It changes our thinking to holy thinking. So instead of us staying the same and thinking the same and acting the same as we did when we first came to know Christ, when we interact with God's word, it begins to do something in our minds to transform our minds. It's the church word of sanctification. I need a sanctified mind. I need to be transformed from one degree of glory to the next as we come into God's uh, understanding. See, we're, as I talked about earlier, we're hit with so much information Well, so much of what we believe is shaped by the culture around us. Well, the culture around us is not that of God. And so as we come to God's word, we allow it to do the work that it does to transform us. 
Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And as God's word takes us and corrects us, it corrects us by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we become more like our Savior. Like the goal of us as Christians is that we become more like Jesus. And I can tell you what, I need to think more like Jesus. And we do that by coming and allowing his word, being filled with awe and reverence, being filled with wonder, letting him speak to us to correct us and give us holy thinking. So God's word, we need to allow it to teach, we need to allow it to rebuke, we need to allow it to correct, and finally, we need to allow it to train us, to train us. We need it to enable us to have holy living. See, God's word can shape and train us for the work that God has called us and created us and gifted us to do as we join into this great big story that God is doing and that's unfolding before us. And once again, it's not about information only, but it's about transformation as well. And as you go through this life, there's gonna be moments that you never thought you would have to step into, but yet, with the help of God's word, you can be trained. There can be conversations that you thought you would never have to do, decisions you thought you would never have to make, but yet with God's word, it can train. See, you'll begin to take and look for, for the advantage of the opportunities that you never thought you would have taken advantage of before because you've spent time in his word. You'll foster relationships that are God-ordained that you never would have thought before. The word, it trains you. And here's the thing is that as we come to, to God's word, it's not that we want to receive some golden nugget every time we come to it. Like it's great when we do, but if you get to the end of your time in the word for that day and you go, I don't know if I got much of anything out of that. Well, guess what? As you come back to it again the next day and the next day and the next day, it's gonna build on itself. We need it to, to do that work in us that we can move into holy living as it trains us. So don't take this book for granted. Open it up, use it. It's a gift to us. God's word, God's revelation of himself and of what he's doing. And most importantly of Jesus Christ, the one who saves us and the one whom we celebrate this season as we gather together to celebrate Christmas. He's our way, born in a manger. He's our way to salvation. It's Jesus, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I know that sometimes we have fallen away from being in a sense of awe and wonder of your word. Lord, some of us have, have never really opened up your word. And Lord, some of us used to be so in it, but yet because of life, it's just the busyness we've grown apart. And so Lord, I pray that wherever we are in that journey today, that we would be open, Lord, that we would surrender. We would make room. Lord, not just for Jesus, but Lord, we'd make room for your word into our lives. Lord, we confess that we haven't followed you very faithfully. So Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would fill us up. 
And Lord, that you would help us by the power of your word to do those things that Paul talked about, to, to teach and to rebuke and to correct and to train. Lord, help us to see the story that you have unfolded and that you're unfolding now, Lord, that we're a part of. And help us to join into that story. Lord, we thank you for preserving your word for us, that we may know the story and give you praise. Lord, we love you and we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you go ahead and stand, we're going to have a time of response, and this is a time where we, we sing to God, and these words today are, are so, so key. And I just want to invite you, if you want to pray, you can come forward and pray at the rails. You can pray in your seat. You can grab a friend. There's a couple of us up front. We would love to pray with you. Just wave us over. But now's the time that we respond to a God who is so, so good. Let's sing together.